Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father, and if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. You know, as I was um, looking forward to this morning, um, I thought a lot about, okay, what, what would, but there one thing that God would put on my heart that he'd want to disseminate down to you. And there wasn't a couple things that kept being the same thing over and over and over and over again. And we could even stop with this now, but, um, but it was this, that, that you would come away with, come away from today treasuring the word of God as your most precious possession. And so would you stand with me? If you have your Bible, um, turn to Psalm 19. Good to see so many Bibles out. That's awesome. Um, Starting in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statues of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold, and they are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. And just stay standing with me for a second. I'm going to read a few little excerpts from Psalm 119 as well. Verse 1, it says, Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. Verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Do I have it memorized? Verse 20, I am always overwhelmed with a desire for your word. Verse 35, give me an eagerness for your word rather than love for money. Verse 37, turn my eyes from worthless things and give give me life through your word. Verse 43, I will walk in freedom for I have devoted myself to your commandments. And verse 89, Your eternal word, O Lord, stands firm in heaven. Your faithfulness extends to every generation as enduring as the earth you created. Your word remains true to this day. True to this day. And finally, Psalm uh, 119, 105, your lamp or your word is a lamp to my feet 
and a light to my path. This is God's word, and you can be seated. Have you ever been lost (laughs) or pretty confused about how to get back from where you are? Well, on an occasion, uh, on occasions, I get to go tuna fishing with my friend in his dory out of Pacific City. And if you've ever been to Pacific City and watched the dories launch, they launch right from the shore and they go out over the first wave, the second wave, the third wave. And then you can watch them if your eyes are still glued to them on a clear day and they go between the Cape Kwanda and the Haystack Rock. And then finally, they kind of disappear out of sight. But on this particular occasion, it was not a clear day. Uh, We launched in the dark, and the fog was extremely dense. And the only tools we had to find our way were navigation equipment, the electronic navigation equipment on the boat, and a compass. And we went offshore about 40, 45 miles. That's where the tuna kind of hang out. And we could never see more than 100 yards in any direction. There's just a lot of of ocean. There's no reference points. There's no land. There's nothing. You just see water, and and uh, you could be lost. Well, we traded off on uh, the helm on several occasions. And for you non-mariners, the helm is a steering wheel. as we typically do, just doing different functions. And it was amazing. I would look down at the screen, and I could, I could just swear that we're still going west. And then I'd look down at the screen, and if you're familiar with a chart map, it shows me that we're veering off hard to the left, and we're going due south. And there's just no reference points. And so it came to my mind, and I asked my friend this question. I said, For some reason, if all our navigation equipment went down, all the electronics and a radio and everything else, how would we get back? And I already knew the answer, but I wanted to hear what he was going to say. And he said this, we still have a compass. (laughs) And the compass always knows what true north is. We know we came from the east, and so we go that direction. And then I said, so what if for some reason the compass broke? And he smiled and he looked at me, I'll never forget it, and he said, we're screwed. (laughs) (laughs) And I hesitated, (laughs) even Kathy, when she she always lets, I I don't make her, she likes to read these things before we get up here. And and she said, in her note, she said, screwed, let's talk. (laughs) (laughs) And... uh, (laughs) And so I explained that a little bit. But I actually looked it up in the dictionary, and this is really interesting. What the the dictionary definition says this. It said, the definition of screwed. (laughs) And and this is what came up. Uh, It it said, beset with unfortunate circumstances that seem difficult or impossible to overcome in imminent danger. When we're lost or confused or bombarded by distractions, the Bible is like a compass, and without it, we're screwed. We're in imminent danger. 
It points us to points us in the right direction, and it always points us to what is true, and it always points us to Jesus. If you really want to know what's actually true, then you need to learn how to love reading your compass. Far too many Christians are trying to negotiate through life without a compass. And you may have acquired one at some point, but it's sticking in a drawer. It may be on a nightstand or an end table, and when you drag your finger across it, there's dust on it. You might even look at it once in a while and then put it back up on the shelf and say to yourself, I got this. I know where I'm going. I heard a story one time um, several years back, and it was uh, that a couple in the church invited the pastor and his wife over for dinner. And they had a great meal. And during the dinner, the hostess noticed that the pastor was kind of clutching through the entire dinner her good serving spoon. And she said, well, that's kind of odd, you know. It was been in the rice or whatever, but he kind of had it right by his plate and wouldn't relinquish it. And they did the dishes, said goodbye, and it was everything was good. But that bothered her because a couple weeks later, she's looking for that spoon, and she can't find it anywhere. And her mind went back to that time where he's just clutching it next to his plate. And she says to herself, did the pastor steal my spoon? And she's wondering that. It bothered her off and on for a year. A year later, they have the couple back over for dinner, and she worked up the courage to ask him right at dinner in front of everybody, with the four of them, and she said, Pastor, did you take my spoon last year? Did you steal my spoon? And he smiled and looked at her and said, No, I put it in your Bible. And you're all laughing because you know it's true. <laughs> Sometimes our spoon and the things we can't find are right, right in front of us. With all that's going on around us, all the craziness of this season, and all the opinions and all the he saids, she saids, everyone is desperately looking for something that is reliable, that is solid. A compass, if you will, to point us what is true. And what you and I have uh, come to believe that is true is greatly shaped by our experiences. The environment you grew up in, the church you intended, the friends you chose to associate with, the mentors that poured into your life, the books that you've read, the cultural moment that you find yourself in. And as good, and I, and as, good as those experiences are, if they're the only thing that we rely on for our navigation through life, we may be actually missing out on what is really true. Opinions are subject to change. So is the culture, as we've seen right in front of us. We will have new experiences that one trusted friend may actually betray us at some point or change their mind. But God's truth never changes. Amen. Isaiah 40, verse 8 says, The grass withers and the flowers fall, 
but the word of the Lord endures forever. Listen, what the Bible requires of us is that we place our own experience below what the Bible says to be true. Isaiah 55 verse 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And Paul exhorts us in Romans 12, not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our minds. I have found in my own life that if I'm not centered on God's word, then I have a tendency to make up my own. And if I'm making up my own truth, and you're making up your own truth, and neither one of us is searching the scriptures to see what God really says about it, then as good as our intentions may be, we could both be misguided in danger of believing a lie. We could be floating around aimlessly in the ocean without any reliable navigation equipment and maybe having a great time till we run out of fuel and then put ourselves in imminent danger. As an example... As we pursue the supernatural and the prophetic, as important as those things are, if, we're, if our focus is inordinately on those things without a strong foundation in God's words, those things can quickly become misguided as well. When a community of believers is so centered on the truth in God's word, Think of the great power and authority we can walk in when the Holy Spirit decides to move. The Holy Spirit works powerfully through the Word of God. Kathy and I, um, when we're facing a struggle, and some of you, if you've gone through premarital, have probably heard this one or two or three or four times. But Kathy will often tell me uh, when um, we're facing that struggle or a tough decision, she says, I don't want your opinion. I want to know what's true. But what in the world does she mean by that? She doesn't trust my opinions? Of course not. I mean, of course she does. (laughs) Maybe not. I don't know. Ask her. (laughs) She does care about my opinions, but she would prefer that I don't just shoot from the hip and come up with some kind of a solution on my own. But she does want a husband who spends time with God in the scriptures so that when I do respond, it's way more likely to be what God says is true than coming from me. Are you willing to take God at his word and let let him shape your thinking to transform you by what he says is true? The Bible is powerful. I think we have a slide. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between the soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And some translations say that the word of God is alive and active. 
meaning that it just doesn't sit dormant. The Bible has inherent life and power. And the person standing up here on a Sunday morning doesn't make the Bible come alive. The Bible is alive. Has there ever been a time when you sat out here in some other church and you're saying to yourself, he's talking specifically to me. He doesn't even know me. Does he have some secret information about me? But it's not the person teaching or preaching at all. It's the piercing sharpness of the Word of God. It's alive, it's active, it's powerful. And the Holy Spirit is delivering the message just to the right place. The Bible has the authority to pierce through your hard heart and it cuts deep into your soul and fillets you open and exposes your deepest thoughts and desires. 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scripture is inspired or breathed out by God, and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. And it's God's way of preparing us in every way, fully equipped to do every good thing he wants us to do. The spiritual work of God's word goes far beyond just the educational and intellectual value of reading it. We read the Bible because God meets us in his word. And the Holy Spirit works powerfully through the word. What does the Bible actually say? What are some things that it actually says about how its active power works in us and how it corrects us and teaches us and prepares us? I started going through some scriptures, and I have a few up here. And if you want to take a photo of these, that would be good because they're not scripture. They're the references at the bottom. But this list could go on eternally. I'm just going to read through these. You can look up on the screen. God's word brings true health fruitfulness, prosperity, and success to what we do. The Word of God has healing power and the power to deliver from oppression. God's Word cleans us if we take heed, if we listen to it. According to God's Word, our way will be cleansed. The Word of God hidden in our hearts keeps us from sin. God's Word is a counselor. When we seek and delight in God's word, it becomes a rich resource of counsel and guidance. God's word gives us peace, gives peace to those who love it. They are secure, standing in a safe place. When the word of God is heard and understood, it bears fruit. The Holy Spirit can work with great power as the Word of God is preached. Holding fast to the Word of God gives assurance of salvation. And the Word of God is a sword of the Spirit. It's equipment for spiritual battle. The Word of God sanctifies the very food we eat. And the Word of God is not dead. It's living and active and sharper than two-edged sword. And lastly, Jesus himself is described as the Word. 
when we are into the Word, we are into Jesus. The Bible's powerful. That's an extremely short list. You could go on and on and on. And my question is this, why in the world wouldn't we long to read a book that gives us access to everything on that list? And that was breathed out by God himself. Jesus longs for us to know the truth. You know, right before his crucifixion, there's this great prayer that Jesus prayed and recorded in, in John 17. And here's just a piece of it starting in verse 17. And it says this, you can read along. Um, Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. I am praying, this is important, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all, that's us, who will ever believe in me through their message. Jesus so deeply desires us to know what is true. And there, there are times that Kathy and I have prayed this same prayer, and I know that some of you have as well. We prayed that, sa- not the same prayer, but with that kind of passion for our own children. And, and here's a, so here's a question, <laughs> our children and grandchildren, here's a question for your parents. Do you have the same amount of passion and desire for learning and obeying God's word as you do for your children to know the truth about Jesus? <laughs> Only you can answer that. And God's not hiding from us. He wants us to know who he is, and he can be known. In Proverbs 8, it says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. In Jeremiah 29, it says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart, and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. In the pages of the Bible, he's revealed to us who he is. There's just four simple things that I want to share with you today. And they're these. They're, one, commit to reading the word. Trust and obey. Approach the word with humility and tenderness. And make the word of God your treasure. Number one, um, when we, if, if you've sat through premarital, you've also heard this story. <laughs> We're going to hear it again. Uh, during the ceremony of, of our wedding day, uh, our dear pastor and friend, Ron Mill, at one point looked straight into my eyes. Kathy and I are both standing there, but he looked into my eyes, and he said these words, and I will never, ever forget them. He said, your marriage will only go as well as the amount of time you sit sitting in God's presence and reading the scriptures. And I will never forget those. And as I look back on our 40 years of marriage, that has been an extremely accurate barometer. And hopefully if you drew a chart, it would work its way up. But there have been some down places and you could 
put them direct, or you could match them directly to those times that that time in the Word had waned. And it's not just a barometer for marriage, it's a barometer for whatever, wherever you are in your life. God knew that I needed those words of encouragement. I needed to take my time with him reading the scriptures to a deeper level. But it required that I made a commitment. <laughs> a commitment to make my time in the scriptures a priority with no compromise. Are you willing to take that step, <laughs> regardless of where you are in your reading of the scriptures? Good intentions won't get you started. It'll take a willful decision followed by decisive action. And what keeps us from reading the Bible? Well, I think the enemy is directly involved with the answer to that question. And here's a few things. Um, I just don't have any desire to read. The Bible doesn't seem relevant to my life. It, it seems confusing and hard to understand, and I don't know how to make sense out of it. I used to read it, and it made me feel really good, but after a while, I didn't seem to have the same impact, so I finally gave it up. I feel guilty when I read the Bible. The Bible is hopelessly out of date. It might have some interesting stories, but it has little significance to life today. I rely on my pastor <laughs> to tell me about the Bible. If I need to know something, he'll tell me about it. <laughs> and here's the classic, I don't have time, I'm just too busy. <laughs> Our enemy Satan loves those answers. <laughs> He hates you finding out what is really true about God. And if we really want to know what's true and receive the freedom that, is offered, that it offers, we can't afford any of those excuses. John 8, 31 through 32 says, If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So if I'm going to know and obey and hold to his teachings, then I need to know what they are. <laughs> if you're going to pass a final exam, you'll need to know what the material is, unless you're truly, truly exceptional. If you want to get back to shore in your boat, you'll need to know what the compass says. <laughs> And if you want to grow stronger in your life as a Christian, you will need to know what God says is true in the pages of the Bible. How are you doing? You doing okay? I take a break here. That looks stupid. You can't see it. This is a baby bottle. And one more drink. I saw that illustration once. It's never left me, followed, followed by this scripture. And you can put that up. It says this, Hebrews 5.11, For by this time you ought to be teachers. 
You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Are you still living on milk? (laughs) Are you still sucking on a bottle? Frankly, there's times when I'm reading the scriptures and they just seem to fall flat. Um, And I have a longing to read and I want to hear from God, but nothing just jumps out and grabs my heart. And that longing and that disappointment always reveals two things about where my heart is and the motives of my heart. First, the fact that I'm hungry for his word yet sometimes disappointed reveals that I desire God and that's good. But secondly, the longing and disappointment can equally say that I expect him to reveal himself on my terms, my timing, and according to my needs and feelings. And it could be more like just checking off a box. And if you feel like that ever, I would just encourage you not to give up. Oftentimes, it's just our attitude coming into it. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a second. Once you find yourself finally sitting in his presence with your Bible open and your heart open, you may want to start with something simple as this, like, open my eyes, Lord, search me, know my heart. Plant the things that you want me to know deep within my heart, and if I don't come away with that wow moment, remind me that you have not stopped working in my life. Commit to reading the scriptures and don't give up. And then the question bears asking, where do I even start? Um, And there are so many different resources. Um, You you can look up the Bible Project, pick a book to read, and go through the little video, an extraordinary resource. Uh, You can read the Proverbs. Uh, They go... 1 through 30, they fit really well into the, into the month. You can start with the Gospel of John. And if you need some help, grab one of the leaders and say, hey, point me in the right direction. I want to get started. I want to make this commitment. Lots and lots of resources. Call me. Um, we're, we're, we're here to help you have this passion. Secondly, trust and obey. Romans 2, verse 13 says, For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It's obeying the law that makes us right in His sight. And James 1, through 25 says, But don't just listen to, the, listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like, glancing in at the in the mirror or it's like glancing at your face in the mirror and you see yourself and you walk away and you forget what you look like but if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free 
And if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Trusting and obeying will require your full surrender. And we don't need to add anything to it or subtract anything to it or from it. In fact, the Bible commands us not to. In Deuteronomy 4.2, it says that you shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I commanded you. So when you make that surrender, it's as if he's standing by your side, and I can picture this, he's standing by your side at the helm of the boat. And he shuts down all electronic navigation systems. He covers up your compass, turns off the radio, and then he looks at you with a tender face and smiles and said, will you trust me? And if you answer yes, it will require full surrender and complete trust. And then he says, okay, turn hard to your port side. That's on your left. Okay, keep it right there, and now veer slightly to your starboard and right there. Yeah, that's good. And then before long, you see the fog lift. Things start to come into focus. And you begin to see the shape of the mountains and the beach clearly in the distance, trusting him as your route back to solid ground. And it's Jesus that gives the Bible its authority. When you choose to trust him, when you choose to obey, choose to surrender, you are subjecting yourself to the authority of Jesus. When you surrender to the authority of our loving God, you're surrendering to Jesus who is God and who is the word. In John 1, 1, it says that in the bidding, it was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And even Jesus himself submitted to God's authority. Right before his crucifixion in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, Father, if it be possible, take this cup away from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And he, at that point, expressed his complete obedience to God's authority. He was praying to do the will of his Father and not his own. And God's will represents that authority. And Jesus did not pray, I want to be crucified. But he merely insisted on obeying. And our entire relationship with God is regulated whether or not we submit to that authority. He is trustworthy, and he's worth following and obeying. Third thing. Psalm 25, 9 says that he leads the humble in what is right, teaching them his way. In James 1, it says, humbly accept the word planted in you, for it is strong enough to save your souls. 
In James 4.10, it says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. So what is it about humility when I read the scriptures and approach the scriptures? Humility is a condition of a tender heart. Humility and tenderness are like good, rich soil. When we approach God's word in humility and with a tender and open heart, seeds of truth are planted, whether or not you feel it or not. And those seeds begin to grow and they grow into fruit and we become changed and we start to grow more and more like Jesus. Approach the word in humility with tenderness and an open heart. Well, number four, and finally, make the Word of God your treasure. Have you ever lost your phone? Did you get panicky? <laughs> Steve, I know you lost your phone once. I wouldn't plan on saying this, but thank you for being here, by the way. Um, Steve lost his phone in the muck on a lake up in eastern Oregon, um, we couldn't find it, and there's a rattlesnake swimming around between it. Really difficult to find. Steve was a bit panicky. We finally found it, but anyway, now you heard that story too. <laughs> but be honest, uh, would you feel the same panic if you lost your Bible? And some of you might say, well, I have the Bible app on my phone. Uh, well, yeah, but are you panicky because you lost your Bible app, or are you panicky because you lost your phone? Might be a cheesy example, but the point is, how much do you treasure your Bible, the Word of God? First Peter says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. It doesn't say to stay on it. It says to long for it, like all the babies that we have in this church. Do you have that longing for the pure spiritual milk? That by it you may grow up into your salvation. Can you say with the same passion in the verse that we read in Psalm 119.20, my soul is consumed with longing for your word at all times. And the more you sit alone with God's word, reading the Bible, the more your passion will grow. But the opposite can happen. The less you read, the more your hunger for it begins to fade. And I just want to look at two more verses as we close. Um, David um, a man of passion in Psalm 27 says this. He says, the one thing, the one thing that I ask from the Lord, the one thing that I seek is that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. And there's another beautiful story. It's one of my favorites in Scripture. It's in Luke chapter 10. And it's a beautiful and compelling story. And when Jesus and his disciples were on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a village where a woman named Martha invited them into her home. Martha had a sister named Mary. 
And the text says that Mary, her sister, sat at Jesus' feet listening to what he taught. And then it says, but Martha was worrying about over the big dinner and all the details she was preparing. And that's not a bad thing. She probably had the gift of hospitality. Uh, that's one of those good things. And, and then she came up to Jesus and said, um, doesn't it seem unfair that my sister sits here in front at your feet while I do all the work? Tell her to come help me. And he said, to the, he said this to her, and I love this. Some translations say, Martha, Martha. <laughs> Another translation says, my dear Martha. With a tenderness in his voice, he says, you're upset over all the details. But there's only one thing <laughs> worth being concerned about. There's only one thing worth being concerned about, and Mary has discovered it, and I won't take it from her. Jesus had a longing for Martha to know what was most important, what was most necessary. And with all that we have going on, all the responsibilities, and all of them can be good. And all the stuff we do, as good as it all is, is sitting at his feet, being in his presence, listening to him as you read the scriptures, that one thing that you've come to desire. That one thing that is worth being concerned about. God's heart for us this morning is simply this, <laughs> that we would make God's word our most treasured possession, <laughs> that we would receive a fresh new longing for the living, active, powerful word of God. I sit on my porch um, every morning Unless there's an ice storm, I find a different place. But, but I'm out there every morning, summer, winter, and I read the scriptures. I spend time praying. And during that time of prayer, and since the beginning of Saints Hill for the last five years, I have prayed for each of you. That regardless of where you are at, in reading your Bible, that you would learn to love and treasure reading God's Word. That He would show you who He is. That you would experience the joy in submitting to His authority in obedience. And most of all, that it would be there that you would encounter Jesus knowing very well the gospel truth that sets you free. Will you stand with me?
Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you, or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website.